When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are Dan Bear's interviews with two of the stars from Ferrari, Penelope Cruz and Gabriel Leone, and Brendan Hodges' interview with the film cinematographer, Eric Messerschmidt. <laughs> Hi, Penelope. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. You've called Michael Mann's approach to making Ferrari more artisanal. And I'm wondering how this influenced the vibe on set compared to other films you've worked on. I feel like it's very similar to to the way that Pedro Almodovar works, because they are both very... um, very very obsessed about each detail and and I always really respect that I never think oh that is too much or the material of the bottom of the thing like I it makes total sense to me that one millimeter left or right in the camera he was setting up a shot with me in Modena at 42 degrees in under the sun in the middle of the street and I know that millimeter matters to him and and when you see the movie, all of those decisions, big or small, they will matter. So I respect a lot that way of, of working. And I feel like cinema cannot lose those values and that rhythm and that process because it's such a privilege to be able to make a film. And when things get into that speed of, I oh, don't know, that doesn't matter, that in the result, I think, doesn't have the same magic. So that artisanal way that I was talking about, you know, with, with Michael, I always say that as a compliment because he's very tough and he's very demanding, but he gives everything. So uh, that is actually a blessing to have somebody that thinks that you can give more. So maybe you're going to do 30 takes one day and the next day he has it and you're going to do four. But makes sense. Yes, it does. I also saw that you were able to do a lot of research for this role. You got to visit Lara's home and you spoke to her doctor at one point. Have there been any other characters that you've played that you've wished you had had such research opportunities available to you, even if they were fictional? I I always save time for that process. Maybe not in the years when I was doing four movies per year and that was a crazy rhythm that was only for that time. But now maybe I make one per year, sometimes two if they are not too long. And and I always, always uh, 
find the time uh, to do that research and work with the dialect coach or whatever language, whatever accent it is, but also investigate. And if it's a fictional character, which is most of the time, because I've only played real characters three times, um, you you have to create that soup with all the ingredients that you have to find and, and, and get to understand who that other being is. And is my favorite part of the process sometimes. Can imagine that's the most fun you get to play around with stuff and speaking of that you know the different characters you've played over the years what do you think would happen if laura ever met another italian that you've played carla from nine well i don't know they are so different mm-hmm. but actually uh, michael told me that uh, laura in her 20s she used to be a cabaret dancer so maybe ah. different deep in their soul that's funny i never thought of that <laughs> that would be fun i can see them in a dance class together can you imagine it's kind of sad to imagine uh, laura dancing in those years and how she lost all her mm. light and, and and brightness and She's half dead. She's walking around half dead uh, from the loss of a child. And it's it's very strong to imagine that was the same woman that Michael describes as dancing and having all these dreams and such a happy person with hope. She has lost all of that. Yeah, it's it's a lot. I remember you you had said that when researching Laura, you had this image of a, a pebble in her shoe for how uncomfortable and out of place she felt. Have you ever felt that you had a bit of a pebble in your shoe walking around the world? And what would maybe times. what would that be? Yeah. Well, many times in many situations, but but the, those situations are crucial to keep learning and to keep getting to know yourself. So they are always welcome. And also we cannot avoid them. So what can we do? But for Laura, she's just like very, very out of place. And being a woman around all those men in that time, not that it has changed so much because you can find women in in similar situations everywhere around the world today. But it it became very, a, a big, I was very grateful that Michael was choosing me to give this woman a voice a woman that that didn't have one at all and that represents so many women in the world that still today are very suppressed and by society and very invalidated constantly. And that's the truth. It has really not changed that much. So characters like this um, mean a lot, a lot to me. And I, also to Michael, even if he doesn't, he never explained this to me as, oh, I want to do this love letter to this these women but that's what he was doing um because i think deep inside he's like a huge romantic and very he's so respectful to women and he's surrounded by women in his family that that are uh, michael can be very bossy and very strong but in the family you know i I think probably he is happy that the situation is different because surrounded by so many strong women and you can see the way he looks at them, the way he talks to them and the kindness. And of course, he's very, very tough, you know, like sometimes, but he knows what he's doing and he gives so much on the set every single day. And he expects the same thing from everyone else in every department. So that's also something that I, I much rather have a director like that than have somebody that 
is 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 happy with anything whatever whatever you do is gonna say yeah fine let's move on mm, i don't think that's the way like i don't think somebody that would be so relaxed about things would deserve to 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 be making a movie you know it's tough and it's difficult and it's a a, a team work and but it's like a, a miracle to be able to start a movie and finish it and I think he's very aware of that and and is that like an amazing work ethic example and you know all that passion and hard work comes through on the screen and that's our time with Penelope thank you so much for joining us today it's been wonderful talking with you So Eric, you're having an incredible year and you've now worked with a few of the pioneers and masters specifically of digital cinema. You know, I'm thinking obviously of your collaborations with David Fincher and now with Michael Mann, who's sort of a maverick with digital. You know, he has that high ISO look, that really intense Mm -hmm. depth of field in a lot of his 2000 films. Uh, so I'm wondering, when you joined Ferrari, what was the path in finding the Eric Messerschmitt version of what a Michael Mann digital film would be? I mean, I, I, I'm i an enormous admirer of him as a, as a filmmaker and as, as a pioneer, for sure, and, and a fan. Um, so I was excited, you know, but I think I, as a cinematographer, anytime you, 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 you come into another person's world, you you have the obligation to kind of figure out how um, how best to fit into their machine. You know, and, and and part of that is is studying their work and and looking at their at their previous work and and um and the other part of it is figuring out how your own sensibility and you know my own sensibility and taste and 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 perspective uh, can contribute. And, you know, and I think you know Michael and I uh, initially had very similar uh, v- visual reactions to the script and the locations. You know, we, it was very simpatico. It was you know we. Um, we saw things very, in, a, in a very similar way. And, and, um, you know, but it's, I, I think it's, it's, it's a bit like cooking in someone else's kitchen, you know, you sort of, you come in and, and, uh, and, uh, certainly in the Michael Mann world, you know, you, you come in and you're, uh, uh, you're, you're immediately thrown in, in the, you know, in the line with, with the rest of the cooks and you're, and you're just doing your best to make the best meal you can, you know, and, and, um, and that's what we tried to do. Yeah. That makes all the sense in the world. And in Ferrari specifically, it's interesting, right? Because it combines kind of the classical, more painterly, long lens look of his 90s movies and like early 2000s films. But then you go into that kind of impressionistic, abstract, late period man look that we see with like Mammy Vice or maybe Public Enemies is a better comparison because it's also a period film. And I'm wondering, you know, not only how did you conceptualize the different looks, but also how you chose which scene needed which sensibility, <laughs> because it's not just all racing scenes are the more subjective impressionistic camera. There's scenes of Enzo Ferrari walking around that has the camera in a very subjective way. So I'm just wondering, like, what was the thought process of when to use the different styles? What was that process like? Well, I, you know, I think from a, from a, uh, a lighting perspective, it's, it's, it's really well articulated in the script. Um, you know the script, the way it it, it bifurcates 
the world of Enzo Ferrari um, is very clear in the screenplay. And that is, you know, that's that's Troy and that's also Michael, you know, really refining that over over the course of many years, I think. And and it's you know, it was always part of the discussion with with between us about about the film having these kind of polar opposite uh, aesthetic sensibilities, you know, or 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 styles. Because um, because the film, I think, is very much about contrasts. You know, thematically, it's very much about contrasts. It's about Laura against Enzo, Laura against Lena. The factories push and pull between finance and 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 the glory of racing. Um, you know, the the battle between life and death. Uh, you know, for the drivers and and their and and passion. And, you know, all of, and the drive for success and the, you know the the the. Um, uh, the risks of success, right? Uh, and so, you know, it, it was it was obvious that the film should have two two different looks. I mean, I think, you know, Michael Michael uses the camera as an expressive tool as a filmmaker. It's you know, it is um, the the frame on a Michael Mann film is the director's property, and and he you know he uses the camera I think as an extension of uh, character, and 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 it's very important to him how he how he moves the camera, how he how he. Uh, how he treats the camera in 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 uh, in context of what's happening dramatically on the stage or on the set or or what have you, you know. So you know, it's it's that Michael really deserves a lot of credit credit there. I think, particularly how the camera is moving. But you know, it's also driven by by just what's what's happening in the scene. I mean, the you know the kind of quiet, dramatic, interpersonal scenes are are by nature more reserved and, and of course you know when you get to the racing stuff it's it's visceral and, and fast-paced and, and and it's about energy and, and um you know the dramas the dramas articulated differently in, in terms of photography by by the nature of what it is right well i, I want to springboard off that because there's that one scene that intercuts one of the test drives with the mass the the latin mass that we see and it, it's light and dark, very mm -hmm. literally. I found my eyes always needing to adjust. Good, you know, shot to shot, like good. <laughs> yeah, was that the intention, like just to create those such two distinct worlds and have the audience constantly reacting to that kind of polarity between the two? Absolutely, yeah, and you know, and it's further articulated by sound. I think in the film, you know, it's it's and it's the first time in the movie where 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 the audience sees red, and that's deliberate. You know, that's very deliberate and. That scene always read that way. In fact, that was the scene that, that most want, made me want to do the movie other than wanting to work with Michael. You know, when I read that, that scene, I, I was so excited about it Be because it's the, the way it's structured is, is very much, you know, in support of what you're saying. I, you know, I think it's and that's also, you know, to be honest, it's it's the aesthetic of Italy for me. You know, you're in these churches, you're in the, you know, these kind of dark interiors uh um, you know, apartments, uh, restaurants, um, certainly, you know, uh, churches, cathedrals, that's what they feel like to me. And then you go outside in Italy and you're hit with this hard, you know, in the summer, at least you're hit with this hard sunlight and, and the heat of, of the Italian summer. And, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a country of contrast, I think. And it's a, and it's certainly a film of contrast, obviously. Yeah, that makes sense. And I want to ask about speed, <laughs> the racing sequences, but especially towards the end of the race as you're inside that towering row of trees and you're alternating between mounted camera shots that those povs i don't know if it's the lenses i think there's some dolly zooms in there or something there like that. Are, yeah yeah talk about your process and what you were trying to achieve with that scene because I, i've seen a lot of racing films over the years i've never seen anything 
that did this exactly the way that it did. Good. Uh, well, that's that was that's what we wanted. You know, I, I think <laughs> the oeuvre, so to speak, of 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 racing photography and 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 the visual storytelling techniques around explaining to the audience who's in front, who's behind, is well established, right? Like this historically, you know, motorsport is it ties hand in hand with broadcast it's it's very much you know entrenched in 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 the broadcast world and so we're used to seeing it told in a in a, in a very kind of procedural way i think that wasn't really of interest to 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 michael or, or, or to any of us because the drama is not in the necessarily in who's in front and who's in back it's about it's it's on the face of these drivers you know against the adversary of what they're what they're experiencing really and so he didn't want to. He didn't want to tell the story in those kind of traditional texts and techniques. And, and and you know, a lot of those techniques revolve around how can we shoot the actors on in front of a green screen and intercut it with second unit photography. You know, how do we shoot these guys driving fifty miles an hour and make it look like they're going a hundred? You know, none of those things were even considered on this film. We we wanted the cars going, you know, their actual speeds. And my, it was very important to Michael to see those. You know, the cars. Uh, the physics of the cars uh, to be accurate. We want, he wanted the audience to look at. It. He wanted motorsport people to see. Wow, they're really going 150 miles an hour. You know, and you know, it's a, it's about respect to the brand and respect to the, to motor racing, but also about respect to the you know the kind of uh, brutality of the sport at the time. I think you know. So yeah, so we didn't. You know, there is no there is no green screen in the movie. There is no uh, car process or LED video wall or um, uh, you know we, we're not we're not shooting. Um, Patrick Dempsey in a parking lot in front of a green screen and shaking the car, you know, he's actually driving the car in the film. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it all, it all came from Michael really, but it's, you know, it's, it's really an attempt to, to keep the film historically accurate and, and it's, and as viscerally effective as possible. Yeah. Um, this isn't a question, but I, I do have more, but I wanted to just mention that it's fascinating you to hear you say that Eric, because as anybody would know, your, your scenes uh, for the, the kind of motorcycle scene on the killer is very virtual. Yeah. You know, you did most of that in post, and now here with Ferrari, you have the total opposite. So I just wanted to say that that's awesome that you, <laughs> you found a way to, you know, really use the tools of the sort of digital world and an analog world in an exciting in an exciting oh, way. Thank you. Um, I want to go to the uh, lighting in in the film, and I read that it was inspired by yours and Michael Mann's shared love of Caravaggio. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all these like silky shadows and beams of light and things like that. What was the inspiration behind the look? And also just how did you find and create the suppleness of those images, especially those like deep browns and deep reds mm -hmm. that start seeping into the film as it goes on? No, oh, thank you. I, you know, I, the Venetian school in particular, not necessarily Caravaggio, but the sort of Venetian school of Italian portraiture is, is I think my favorite era of, figurative painting anyway um so you know painters like titian and tintoretto and you know those guys and and carvaggio to some extent as well you know i mean it's it's all built around this kind of very singular gestured light and um you know if you spend any time in italy especially in you know in period homes or period environments you immediately understand why the why the paintings look the way they do and it's because the lighting in those spaces is actually very simple but it's very dramatic I mean, it's not, you not really artificial, you know, and, and so, you know, we looked at the paintings and it, um, in the conversations I had with Michael, it, it just felt like an obvious, obvious, uh, point of reference to start from. And of course, you know, we're, you know, in painting, the camera does not move. And of course, in our film, the camera is quite a bit. So we, 
you know, there's an adaptation process to figuring out how, how that aesthetic fits into, into our film. But uh, it's interesting that you say that about the shadows, because that, I think, is, is, is a very distinct quality of that particular period of painting. And it's, it has to do with this kind of almost silkiness, kind of softness in the shadows. And so, you, you know, you use all sorts of techniques, smoke and diffusion in the lenses and, um, um, uh, and you know, various, very low levels of ambient light and, um, you know, the, the, and, and shallow depth of field to some degree as well. Um, but not always, you know, like you mentioned earlier, there, there are moments in Michael's films where he likes the deeper depth of field. And so, you know, as a cinematographer, you have to support that. And, you know, and I believe that. I believe that the cinematographer's job is to, support the director's process wholly you know you're you're there to you're there to contribute but you're also there to, to listen and, and and give them what they're looking for fundamentally yeah absolutely and i wanted to ask i'm victoria cash thanks for calling the lucky land hotline if you feel like you do the same thing every day press one if you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes press two we heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Kind of going all the way back to the beginning with the opening scene, because you start with this sequence that could, I, it took me completely by surprise. It, it's this super grainy looked a uh, black and white film um it, it almost looks rear projected in some mm -hmm. way it 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 looks like you would have how you would have shot it almost in the 1940s and obviously this is a completely different look but it occurred to me as i'm sure it did many others you'd worked on mank and <laughs> i'm wondering if that experience with mank informed what you did in the opening scene of ferrari at all and if not uh, what did you bring into it to achieve that specific look well, I mean, I, I guess I no, I, 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 I mean, the thing that Mank did for me is I, I am now intimately familiar with the black and white printing process and the kind of his, history of how black and white photography was, you know, all through, you know, from from the photography portion of it through the post process to the optical printing to the release and, and what happens to film stock over the years as it degrades. Um, so, you know, I was in a good position to comment about that. But of course, Michael is as well. You know, Michael is a student of cinema. And, and, uh, and, and but, you know, the, that particular sequence was not part of the initial plan, actually. It was a, it was a thing that happened. We were, we were looking a lot at, um, at old newsreel footage of racing and, you know, motorsport and especially Italian motorsport in particular of the period and prior, you know, uh, 1930s, uh, 40s and into the early 50s was, was pretty is pretty well documented and uh you know so there's old kinescope uh recordings of 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 racing and 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 crashes actually and most of the the primary reason we were looking at a lot of this footage was was because we were interested in the physics of the crashes and how the cars behaved and so we had spent a lot of time in the prep looking at that and michael at one point um said you know i think i want to open the film with the with the black and white sequence because I feel like the movie needs um, some context of, of Enzo as a as a driver. Because the only other time we know that is is in the scene with his son. You know, I think Michael felt that that, that the film needed that, so we shot that sequence, and it, it is intercut with actual news real footage um, and Adam driving a period car. You know, I got to give credit to the to the visual effects guys in, in terms of the recreation of all that because we you know we put together some very rudimentary. Um, 
black and white visual references and 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 LUTs for that for that sequence. Um, but but ultimately, it was it was sent on to the to the VFX team to to kind of marry it all. It does, I think, cut together really well. I oh, honestly good. had no idea that some of it was archival footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're we're about to wrap up here, but I wanted to ask: Are there any specific shots in the film that you can think of, either because they were particularly difficult to capture on the day, you were running out of light, you just couldn't get the the focus right, whatever it was that you're particularly proud of? in the film or when you when you think back on your experience with Ferrari you're like these are my favorite shots or visual moments that I was able to capture sure well i mean there's a couple of them the, the one that immediately comes to mind is 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 actually uh just a shot of Penelope in in the um in the scene where where uh where where Laura and Enzo are, are having their their kind of first blowout fight and uh, you know, Michael had staged it really beautifully with them about you know Penelope standing by this lamp and she doesn't really move, and and Enzo is you know walking towards her and away from her and in in the light and out of the light, and you know we were going to move the camera quite a bit in that scene, and I you know that's always complicated as a cinematographer when you're you know you're trying to do a very gestured aesthetically uh, aesthetic look, but the, the camera's moving, the actors are moving through the space, and we were in, in location, we weren't on the stage, and. Uh, you know, I always I, I felt like Penelope's character should just be kind of she's very stoic, you know, and and, um, and I always tried to light her in a very simple kind of stoic way. And so, we you know, we just lit her with a very simple top light and, and with a little bit of light off, off the lamp. And I was a little nervous about it, actually. But in the end, it, it I, I really like the way that that stuff looks. I love the way that she looks in that scene. And then the other one, I think, is is the night the, the night sequence. There's two others probably. There's there's the night sequence leaving um leaving the starting line during the race, um and you know where Enzo was walking down and 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 giving all the notes to the drivers and then they take off, you know that that we had to shoot quite quickly with, with not a lot of prep actually and I, I actually am really happy with how that turned out. And the stuff where they're driving at night, um you know it's is is exclusively lit with the headlights. There's there's no other artificial light in that sequence. And and that uh, I, I, there were a few sleepless nights leading up to that, worried about how I was going to do that because it's it's you know they're they're covering the, the the drivers are driving extremely fast and it was raining and and I didn't actually have much of a plan about how we were going to do it and in the end I said well let's just do it with the headlights and I kind of rolled the dice and I, I think it was the right choice but you know it's uh, all that all that stuff is that's 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 what makes this job interesting right yeah. Well, it's interesting to hear you talk about that because it sounds like a lot of what you wound up liking the best was obviously these, I wouldn't maybe call them happy accidents, but certainly gambles. Sure. Yeah. And I think that is the beauty of of filmmaking, right? I mean, you never can go in with a plan for every single shot. You could storyboard every shot. And I'm sure uh, Mr. Fincher might disagree with me, but there's situations where you know, you're always inventing on on the day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good to have a plan. It's it's responsible to have a plan. But I think you know, it's uh, there's no doubt that there's an element of construction on the day that happens, and and it's you know, I think it's important to be flexible and lean into the stuff that's working and and avoid the stuff that's not. And you know, I mean, it's I think it's it's under discussed how much um, the the process of making films evolves over the course of seconds, minutes, and hours, and and that. You know, you come in and it's very much like cooking in my mind. You know, it's like the recipe is the storyboard. But in the end, you know, you taste the soup and you have to figure out what the seasoning is. And 
so you know you everyone is doing their little part and you know the actors are shifting the blocking of the performance a little bit the director is, is you know hurting everybody and the cinematographer is making decisions as well and and yeah i mean it is fun it is fun to gamble you know you can certainly i've been i've been burned about as many times as i've won but it's um but it it's it, it keeps the job interesting for sure yeah yeah all right absolutely well thank you so much for your, your time eric the movie is beautiful thank you so much appreciate your time of course and really what a year man two of the best looking <laughs> films of of the year congratulations thanks man I appreciate it thanks for watching yeah that's cool yeah. make me happy <laughs> bye get into one of my cars you get in the wind gabriel thank you so much for joining us today thank you very excited to speak to you about your role in this film you're playing a superstar race car driver alfonso de Bartago. um were you a fan of racing at all before shooting this film no it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't yeah i mean i, I i've always been a sports fan i practice uh, some some sports but no racing i wasn't and especially because uh formula one for us brazilian i i was born in 1993 and our biggest idol from formula one died in 94 santa died in 94 so i think that when i my generation grew up in the in the world for us Brazilian that Formula One wasn't a kind of our thing anymore. We were kind of leaving the grief, but yeah, but then Ferrari came in and, and now I'm, I'm a Formula One fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good to hear. Um, and I know that you got to do a lot of, if not all of your own driving in the film. How much training did you have to go through to be safe in these cars we had two months of, of prep before shooting uh michael wanted us the drivers to to drive some bit to really really drive some bits of the scenes and so we had this prep with the stunt drivers on the wheel track and with the cars we used on the movies we were using uh catrons the chassis of all the ferraris were were catrons and they only rebuilt the the body, the, the skins. So it was pretty important for us to have that experience, of course, for the movie because we drove some some bits of the scenes. And but more than that, I think Michael wanted us to look confident, to look to look and feel connected with the cars, uh, because we would like spend the, almost the, the entire movie on the cars. He wanted to us not not only to pretend, but to have the real connection with those cars. And I know that in the actual Ferrari race cars of the time, there were no seatbelts because they believed that it was safer to get thrown from the car in the case of an accident. In the cars you drove, was that also the case? No, we had seatbelts, of course. Okay. We had, no, yeah, of course, we had all the safety. We weren't driving that much fast, of course, and it was super, like controlled we were driving from this bit to that bit everybody knew we were we were driving it was us driving and not the stunt drivers so it was always like super safe 
Good. That that is very good to hear. And would you ever consider doing your own driving stunts again? Uh, you know what? After the movie, after that experience, uh, I kind of, I'd say I, I kind of changed the way I drive, and it's it's <laughs> yeah. It'll be almost impossible not to because. Uh, it's what I said. You, you you kind of understand more of uh, how the car works and how to control to have more control of the car. So I remember I'm shooting this series now about Santa. I'm playing Ayrton Senna, and I remember I'm not I'm not driving on the series, unfortunately. But I had some scenes driving like regular cars, and I remember the guys asking, "How do you know?" how to do that, this and that. And it's, of course, it, it came from the, the previous experience I had in Ferrari. So it kind of like, it's with me now. And uh, and I had some, some uh, had a couple of months prepping or going go-kartings. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think now uh, driving, racing, it's, it's something. I don't know about like, racing like racing for for real but but i do like to, to drive <laughs> you you said that you it sort of changed how you drive do you think it changed it for the better or for the worse for the better of course mm -hmm. but still i i'm still in the city so i need to to control myself not yeah. to go <laughs> that much fast I can imagine. Like, and yeah, as you said, you're currently shooting the new series about uh, Ayrton Senna. Did you ever imagine that you would play not just one, but two race car drivers in such quick succession? <laughs> yeah, it was, was a huge coincidence. I never imagined that, of course. And uh, even, of course, they have this in common being racing drivers, Formula One racing drivers. But one of them is from the 50s, the other from the 80s, 90s. And yeah, I mean, I remember my mom recently asked me to stop dying on screen. She she just <laughs> doesn't want to see me dying anymore. But, but this has kind of became my thing this past few years, playing racing drivers that die tragically in the end. But yeah, for me to play Senna has been an, an honor He's uh, one of the biggest Brazilian idols of all time, and the city, the the series is amazing. We're just about to to wrap, and we're gonna release next year. So I'm pretty excited about it. It's a very exciting time. <laughs> and speaking of that, of the excitement, you said that one of the sort of defining character traits you found about Deportago is his. You know, he was like an adrenaline junkie. He really loved that rush of adrenaline, and he always ran toward it. And I'm wondering, do you also have some of that in you? Or did you before playing this character? Yeah, maybe I, I had this when I'm acting. This is what I, what I love to do the most, yeah. and this is what I know to do for life, you know? So I this is... When I'm not acting, when I'm not working, I feel there's something missing. So maybe this is kind of my thing, like my junkie thing. 
<laughs> yeah, I like that. That acting is what gives you the spike of adrenaline. Exactly. I imagine that must have helped. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Also, we're coming towards the end of our, our time together, but I know that in addition to your screen work, you've also been on stage in Wicked and Natasha Pierre and The Great Comet of 1912, which is one of my favorite musicals. Oh, that's um, nice. Would you ever consider doing a Mubi musical? Yeah, I would love to. Yeah. I've done some in Brazil, uh, but I definitely I would love to. Music is also a big passion of mine, and uh, I'm, I'm a musician. And yeah, I would love to to be part. What What's your musical dream role? What would you love to put out in the world? Uh, Burger from Hair. Oh, I yeah. can see it. I can see it. That would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gabriel, Leone, thank you so much again for joining us thank today. You. And congratulations on your work in the film and looking forward to Sana. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Dan Baer's interviews with two of the stars from Michael Mann's film, Ferrari, Penelope Cruz, and Gabriel Leone here on the Next Best Picture podcast, along with Brendan Hodges' interview with the film cinematographer, Eric Messerschmidt. Ferrari is now currently playing in theaters from Neon and is up for your consideration for this year's Academy Awards in all eligible categories. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.